I'd like to give what will amount to an introductory message having to do with uh, something we're going to spend quite a, a, a bit of our time as far as an investment over the next 52 weeks, including today. Uh, we've been talking about this for some time, but we're going to be studying the New City Catechism. We'll do more of that on our Wednesday evening Bible studies, uh, but we will read through a question and an answer of all 52 of these question and answers having to do with the New City Catechism, and um, we'll learn more as we go. But I thought it would, it would be worth our time at the beginning of the year and on a Sunday where a big part of our service is communion itself. I thought we'd just call this Catechism 101. And uh, I suppose there are a few of us in here who know a great deal about a catechism, what a catechism is. Uh, could recite from memory certain answers to questions. Uh, I would think, however, more of us are less familiar, and that probably has to do with your church background more than anything else. If you're a Baptist like myself, you may be saying, what in the world is he talking about? Uh, I thought that was for Catholics or something like that. And there may be some that have never heard the word until today, 2022, and we give you a new word. But I thought it best if we just start with a couple of questions uh, and basic ones at that. What is a catechism and why is it important? At least important enough to spend the next year on it, on Wednesdays and on Sundays. And the best way I know to describe what a catechism is, and we'll read from Deuteronomy here in just a moment. Catechism is, is a tool and a teaching tool at that. And I think everyone can understand what a tool is. You probably used several of them this morning. A hairbrush is a tool. A toothbrush is a tool. You might even have a writing instrument in your hands. That's a, that's a tool for writing. And a tool simply makes a job easier or more precise or more efficient uh, or more joyful. There's, there's nothing worse than uh, the wrong tool. That's even worse than no tool at all, right? Uh, just thinking in rudimentary terms. If you have a splinter in your finger, you need what? A pair of tweezers. But if you're chopping down a tree, you don't need tweezers. You would need an axe. But you wouldn't reverse those, would you? Tweezers not going to help you chop down a tree, and you wouldn't use an axe to remove a splinter. So you need the right tool for the right job. And the job is given to us in Deuteronomy 6. Catechism is a tool for the job that we see starting in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house or on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you... 
with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after the gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. This is God's Word. And let's take a moment to pray and ask His help to understand and obey. Father in heaven, thank you for this passage from Deuteronomy, an ancient prescription to be faithful in teaching the next generation the things that a former generation had seen with their own eyes, heard with their own ears. Lord, may we be faithful to do the same. And may we get our, 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 our right foot in place as we start a new year. And may you be pleased to give us whatever is necessary to start, but also to continue to be found faithful. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Now this is the Old Testament. There are places in the New Testament, there are many that say the same thing, that we're responsible to teach, that we are witnesses, the book of Acts tells us. Uh, The epistles tell us as parents we're responsible. I know that this was written to those wandering in the wilderness, Hebrews at that. I would think that most of us are not Hebrews and that all of us are not wandering in the wilderness, literally. But these were the things that were given, handed down, never to be revoked. These are for us. And this is our job, if we have a job as Christians, to teach the next generation. That's the the backbone of any ministry that is a biblical ministry. And the reason why I bring this up is because catechisms, both the one we're going to study and those of old, were designed to help with this very thing. So if catechism is a tool and the job is teaching the scriptures, we all have the responsibility as a witness, as a teacher, especially as a parent or grandparent. If there's a tool that makes that easier, we should be interested So let me give you a little bit of background as to the word, what it means, where it came from, a little bit of history, some reasons for why it was put together in the first place, then an example of how I've used it in the past, and then we'll be ready for communion. The word catechism itself comes from the Greek word katecheo. Sounds like catechism, doesn't it? But it starts with a K in the Greek instead of a C in English. It means to teach orally, which is what I'm doing right now. You could say, if there's any learning going on, that a book report would be a form of catechizing those who's listening. It's it's the matter of teaching through speech. We teach through reading. Uh, We teach perhaps uh, through listening. But in a live audience, as it were, two people interacting at least... To teach orally from the Greek is katecheo. 
Now, we find that word all in the New Testament. But if you read it in English, you'll never see it. Because all the English translations don't go from katecheo to catechize. They go from katecheo to teach. Because that's what catechism or catechize means. They, they just translate out that noun or that verb. And what you've got are examples like Luke 1, 3, and 4. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. The recipient of the letter was this most excellent Theophilus, that you may certainly have certainty concerning the things you have been taught or catechized. Um, Acts 18, we'll get there soon enough in our study in Acts. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandra, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man and competent in the Scriptures. That's good, eloquent and competent. He had been instructed, that's catechized, in the way of the Lord being found in fervent in spirit, spoken taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And then in Galatians 6, let the one who is taught or catechized the words share all good things with those who teach. So I could keep going, but it means to teach, and it means to teach orally. So our running, working definition so far, catechism is a teaching tool especially suited for oral instruction, and we'll add one more piece, and usually arranged in question-answer format. Why is that important? Because that is the, the method, the structure of the classroom, isn't it? Now, you'll have to work with me for as long as I'm your pastor. I have this massive gaping hole in my understanding of the education system because since the third grade, I was homeschooled. Now, someone else may say I was, I was homeschooled too. Well, I'm sure that was as different as our mother's cooking there's a lot of variance that goes on in there. And the same can be said of private school and public school, though most of the kids I grew up with went to public school. So I lack that reference point. But uh, remembering back as far as I can with homeschool, uh, back when we would pop in a, a VHS tape, you know, we did homeschool on VCR. That's how far it goes back. Um, but our flashcards with, with multiplication tables, uh, our vocabulary, our spelling words, history, science, all of it, I can remember droning on, listening to the questions from the teacher, and we would have to spit out the answers. That's how we would drill these things before we had a quiz or we had a test. It's just the way it works. And more so, the younger we are, that's how we learn. And it's been that way Classically, I even hear that in homeschool circles, there's this resurgence of, of classical methods for teaching children because it worked. Then we got fancy, and it worked so well. So we're going back to basics. You might could say the same thing with what's going on in churches and this outfit that decided we needed a new modern catechism to address the interest in such things. Now, this is several years old at this point, but this is what we'll be looking at. Let me give you a few examples of the question-answer format that 
really all these well-known catechisms have in common. Um, the two most well-known, widely used catechisms would be the Westminster Shorter Catechism because the other one was just too long. So they made a shorter version, and it's longer than the one we're going to use. And that was published in November 25th, 1647. So it's got some age on it. And then also the Heidelberg Catechism, published January 19, 1563. It's even older. The one that we're going to look at has pieces of both, though its first sounds more like the Heidelberg than it does Westminster. But here's question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? And Many of you instantly recognize that, and you may have the answer ready to go. The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, that's a newer version to the Heidelberg, which would say basically the same thing, but in different words. What is your only comfort in life and death? That's the question. The answer would be that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The Westminster is kind of a concise format of the same thing. Only comfort in life or death. Chief end of man, it has to do with life and death. has to do with your Savior. Body, soul, life, death, all those things. I included, you might have looked at it already, just because I wanted you to maybe see the scope of all this, but there's a handout in your bulletin. If you've already looked at it, you can leave it there in your lap. If you want to look and you haven't, be my guest Already, this is an atypical sermon. We're looking at stuff in the bulletin because the pastor said so. But what you've got on the, the one side, and this is just for your reference, there are different publications where you can get your hands in printed format uh, what we're going to be looking at. The, the black New City Catechism there, that's what the front of the book looks like. We've got some of these in our office. If you want to purchase those. You can go to Amazon and get them basically for the same thing we got them for. Uh, there's also a New City Catechism devotional. It's got a little bit more information in it than the catechism alone. There's a short prayer, a devotional commentary from pastors who are alive and then pastors who are dead. And uh, you can learn a lot from both the living and the dead. And they give you a balance of both um, the New City Catechism for Kids down there, the third one, that's simplified even more. It's just the question, just the answer, and then I think a reference for the verse that goes along with it. And some of the words have been removed without doing damage to the idea, but to make it easier to memorize. And then if you want all of that for free, and you don't mind looking at it on a screen, use that QR code at the bottom. There's an app. It's got it all there. It looks the same. It's by the same people. It won't cost you anything. Uh, you can find a web app if you don't have a smartphone where the computer will do the same thing for you. And you can find that at newcitycatechism.com. Um, but this other side of the page, this is all 52 questions. The answers aren't here. But I, I just kind of wanted to give you the scope of it all. Over these 52 questions, you've got categories 
like God, creation, the fall, law, Christ, redemption, grace, the Holy Spirit, restoration, growing in grace, and on and on. I made a, a, a mark on some of these just to ask them so you can see what's coming. Number four, a month from now, how and why did God create us? How long has the world been asking, where did I come from? So these are big questions. Uh, Thirteen, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Answer to that is no. Okay. Fourteen, did God create us unable to keep his law since we can't keep it? The answer to that is no. Come on now, you're messing with me. We'll look at verse 15. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Good question. Look at the one after that, verse 16. So what is sin? That's anything that doesn't match up to that law. It's going to work its way to say, verse, uh, not verse, but question 20, who is the Redeemer? The one that can save us from our sins? Verse 22, I keep saying verse. Question 22, why must the Redeemer be truly human? So he can pay for human sins. Verse tw- uh, I'm, I'm terminal. <laughs> Question 25. Does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? Yes. Question 27. Are all people just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? No. They have to trust Christ. Look at 46. What is the Lord's Supper? We could use that for today, couldn't we? Does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? No. But we've got a whole year to go through these. And if nothing else, it's going to put in front of our eyes and in our mind questions through the Scriptures that we should... They're vitamins that we need in our diet or what they are. And maybe this will bring up questions you can answer at lunch. Or if anyone bursts into the restaurant where you're eating and says, what is the chief end of man? You're going to have an answer for it today. But let me give you some reasons to answer the question, why go to the trouble to develop these sorts of things? And these are pulled from um, commentary from the older catechisms as well as the new. But this is just a handful and, and worth mentioning Uh, but not to spend so much time that we uh, make light of communion here in a moment. The church is always in need of education. That's one of the biggest reasons why these are developed and why we'll use one. The Bible is a large book with many truths, some of which are revealed in historical writings, others poetry, still others visions, you, know, you you read Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, they sound way different than even Song of Solomon or Revelation, especially the narrative books as we're going through like in the book. It's a lot. It's a big book. And at times it's challenging to fit all these details together in one coherent picture. You want to test this theory, close your eyes, open your Bible, flip pages without looking, put your finger on something, read it, and then tell me how that fits with the rest. It's tough. Now, you can go to school, you can learn all that, or you can have what would equate to basically like a Rolodex, which would be a catechism to help you with those things. If someone doesn't get the grasp of the big picture, how will he comprehend the details let alone apply them in his life. 
Precisely here is where a catechism helps the church move forward. Here's another. Our children are the future of the church. And if you have any uh, background with catechism, probably had to do with when you were a child or when you were younger. And it'd be tempting uh, to just say, you want to see the future of the church? Go down the hall and look down uh, the children's wing and into those classrooms. In a way, yes, that is the future of this church. But you'd do better to go to their homes and to hear what is taught around the table. This, all of this, and all of this here is really a supplement to what happens in the home. If it's not taught in the home, we've really got our hands full here in the church to do what's not being done. This catechism, what we read in Deuteronomy, this didn't say anything at all about the church. It, said every, it says everything to the parents who teach this stuff while they're walking in the way, while they're lying down, while they're getting up, such that uh, this was taken literally, enough to put it into boxes, tie it to one's head and to one's arm. Take a trip to Israel. Get up early on the plane as the sun's coming up. You'll get to see how all that works. This is our responsibility, not just the church, but in the home. And to do this at home is really where it's best. Um, it's a supplement here at church. Supplementarily, supplemental restraining system, that's what they call your seat books. That's what the federal government calls them. Because really, the best safety for you and your automobile is you driving safely, right? So we can help you with a seatbelt here at church, but if you don't drive safely, it's going to be bad. By nature, children, young people are not necessarily inclined to pick up God's Word and read it from cover to cover. I read that and I thought, neither are adults. Are they? Yet at the same time, if they don't learn the gospel of salvation well, the future of the church is in jeopardy. Before too long, we'll be reading the verse in Judges, and a generation grew up that knew not the God of their fathers. The dark ages of our Bibles. Here's another. So we don't always need, we always need education. Children need it, um, especially but here's another. Pastors are not always consistent with each other. That's no shock to you that if you go to another church and listen to another guy, he's going to sound different than the guy you listened to last week. Way Chapel should know this. It's been three and a half years since this guy got here, and about 11 months was the guy before me. In 30 years, your pastor before that, we teach differently. Hopefully, most preachers are sincere, hardworking, worthy of our respect, says Paul in 1 Timothy 5. We do our best to explain God's word to the congregation. However, truth be told, each pastor has his favorite doctrines, passages, or topics that he loves to speak about. You probably know mine. You probably know Ross's. It's just certain... And, and you can tell when it gets bad because it's all right turning your Bibles to... X, Y, Z, we're going to learn about um, this left turn on Paul's second missionary journey. 
and three reasons why rock music is ruining America. That'd be the guy whose favorite hobby horse is rock music that's ruining America. Um, there's a lot that's ruining America and every other country on the planet. But what we've got to do is be faithful to teach the whole counsel of God. And a catechism will help you systematically take those vitamins that you may not come across. Even if it's not intentional, your pastor may skip over other doctrines. Beyond that, one pastor may explain the significance of Christ's death in one way, while the pastor in the next congregation does it differently. Preachers don't have to be carbon copies of one another, but consistency among them would go a long way towards strengthening the church. And a catechism helps with that, keeps them kind of on the same page. It's a system, of course. A system can't run the Bible, but a system can help you digest your Bible. Pastors are humans. They're weird ones at that. So we need things like this to kind of unweird them in certain ways. And then the last one here, maybe one of the most important, but spotting heresy is often trickier than you think. And I've been told that uh, those who are trained to detect counterfeit money usually spend most of their training looking at the real money, not the fake stuff. When you're intimately aware of what's real, then you can tell what's fake, can't you? Um, I always got a kick out of you know, just watching commercials that that want to sell something, but the way they portray it just looks so fake. It's just, it's laughable, isn't it? They don't, they don't sell much when you can spot it, you know, so quick. And then I'll I just, you know, I brought up rock and roll a while ago. You know, most of growing up in a Baptist church, there's only so much of that you can have any of, right? But then they got Christian rock and roll too. It was fake rock and roll as far as I was concerned. It wasn't the same. Now, there was some good Christian stuff that had some good music. But when they wanted to sound like the other, it didn't work. Not because one was the devil's and the other was the Lord's, but because it was an imitation. It was a knockoff. It's just as much as some of these guys who stand in front of congregations who are older than me but try to outdress their teenagers. doesn't work. We're laughing behind our serious face because it's just... The same is true with Scripture. There's the real deal. And then there's all types of ways that it can be twisted, distorted, ripped off, peddled as the real stuff. But it's not at all. And don't go home and say that I used rock and roll to illustrate the real scriptures, okay? I say these things knowing very well that somebody who wanted to soundbite this could have a, a lot of fun. We are called to compare everyone's teaching with the inspired standard of God's holy word. Like the Bereans in Acts 17. We'll get there. That was a good thing, that they're fact-checking. 
The idea here, who has enough knowledge of the Bible at his fingertips to discern truth for error efficiently, accurately? Certainly any help we could obtain for pinpointing heresy is most welcome. And that's another thing the catechism is good for and has much to offer. It doesn't shy away from the task of pointing out errors and pointing us away from them and for our own spiritual well-being. Well, I think that's enough to do our first. And uh, if we can go ahead and get that on the screen here, this will look similar to the way we'll have this for, uh, well, the next 51 weeks. But what we'll do at some point in the service, it may be at the beginning, it may be at the end, I may ask the question, David may ask the question, Seth may ask the question, someone else may ask the question, but all of us are going to answer the question, and it's kind of like responsive reading. We won't go into much of it some weeks. Other weeks it might fit a lot with the message or something we're singing, but at least at some point on our Sundays together, we're going to do something like this. So here's what we'll, we'll do it. I'll, I'll read the question number one, and then together we'll all repeat answer number one. So you ready? Okay. Question number one. What is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's how it's done. Thank you very much. That's number one. Wednesday night, we'll be talking about this. Uh, in more detail. If that interests you, we'd love to have you as our guest. But thank you, and you can uh, take that down. I thought I'd close, though, before we get to communion with uh, something that when I talked through this, and it was a, basically an introduction like we've done today, uh, to a Sunday school class in Virginia where um, Sunday school class comprised primarily of young couples with children in their home. Uh, I had my wife help me with some of this. She wrote some things having to do with our experience in our home teaching our kids the New City Catechism. And because it is my lovely wife that bore the majority of the weight of that in our homeschool, most of the time when I was somewhere else wearing a suit, behind a desk somewhere. This is what she had said regarding the first one. The day that we first covered question one in our home, I began by giving each of our children, with the exception of Ben, they were much younger. Ben, went, ben would have eaten these instead of what he was supposed to do with them. I gave them a pile of Legos. I told them that for the next few minutes, I wanted them to create something. Didn't matter what, it could be anything, but make something and use your Legos. At the end of their time, I wanted them to tell me what they had created and what its purpose was. For example, Michael created a soap and toothpaste dispenser so that he could wash his hands and brush his teeth at the same time. Now, I didn't see this. I was intrigued with the creativity, but I, I thought... Little R and D necessary to figure out how you'll need more than 
Unless you brush your teeth with your feet, perhaps, <laughs> while you wash your hands. Could be done. Anyway, when they had taken their turns, I asked them why they got to be the ones to decide what their Lego creation was all about. I asked, what if I want it to be something else? Why do you get to decide and not me? They all immediately said, because we were the ones who made them. Exactly, I told them. And because it is God who made each of you, it is God and God alone who gets to say how you are to live your lives and what your purpose is supposed to be. That's what we just read. She goes on, the first catechism question is also the one I most often refer to. When we have corrective discussions or disciplinary actions with any of our children, we talk through how we went wrong and who gets to say what's wrong and what's right about who God is and how that it is He who calls our behavior right or wrong. Now that he has the right and the authority to expect us to live according to his standards. All else is sin. Because we are not our own, but belong to God. See how useful this can be? But if it's not believed, if it's not something that's just absolutely and totally burned into our consciousness, then someone else may try to tell us who we belong to or what our purpose is or try to tell us that we're something other than the one who made us, made us to be. This is an amazing teaching resource, sufficient enough that I think it's worth our time to spend a year studying it, Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings.